Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 16. I'm your host Dustin, and as always we have with us... It's Apple. You got Josh. We're bringing all your comic news from the last two weeks, as well as book news for the upcoming two weeks, your upcoming releases, and your comic reviews. And in this podcast, we are actually going to start to catch up so that we can start doing comics more current. We're going to catch up with one week ahead this time, and then the next podcast we'll do two weeks, and then the next podcast after that we'll do three weeks, which will get us caught up to exactly two weeks prior to what you are listening to. So that way you're getting the reviews a little faster than you have been, as well as we can kind of compete with some of the other podcasts out there that review comics as they come out. That's why in the past few weeks, if you notice, DC Comics has only been doing like one or two Bat books for a week. They're like, okay, we got to give these Batman Universe guys some time to catch up because they're awesome. Exactly. <laughs> they it's, love us. Yeah, it's, That's it's the all truth. About, it's all about DC helping us out. I thought my jokes were bad. All right, so let's go into comic news. On March 10th, it was announced that Morrison and Quietly will be working on... Batman and Robin. DC announced that Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly will be teaming up on Batman and Robin. Despite rumors flying around about Morrison going back to Batman, obviously that was debunked at WonderCon with Judd Winnick coming back to Batman. It looks like he's going to be working on a series that kind of seems like it's going to be very similar to All-Star Batman and Robin, The Boy Wonder. Morrison and Quietly have teamed up in the past for the successful All-Star Superman and I guess my question to DC is, is this your way of reworking the original intentions for All-Star Batman? You know, I was very, I'm very interested in this. I, I, previous podcasts, I, of course, I'm, I'm excited for the streets of Gotham, but I'm kind of excited for this one, too. I want to see what we get. I've said the same comments about Grant Morrison on the past two podcasts, so I'm not going to go three for three. <laughs> I, I, I love the art that I've seen, and... Batman looks more mellow, and Robin looks more tough and everything. And they actually noticed, said, said something about that in the interview. They said it's going to be a switch of the dynamic, which it'll be interesting to see a more mellow Batman. Just let's see, as long as they don't beat the whole Robin is tough thing into the ground like they did in the 80s, as we've said. But it looks like it could be interesting. I've liked the art, and I'm interested to see how this Batman and Robin will play off of each other. I guess going into the interview that... Josh was talking about March 11th, Morrison did an interview with IGN discussing Batman and Robin. The question was asked, the most obvious question is perhaps the most routine. What can you tell us about your plans for the new Batman and Robin series? How would you describe the tone and feel of the book compared to your previous Batman arcs like Batman and Son or R.I.P.? And Morrison responded, Batman and Robin, which opens with the three-part Batman Reborn arc, is maybe more poppy and more colorful, but is also creepier. It's like David Lynch doing the Batman TV show. The story arcs are four short, three-part events, which will combine to tell a longer 12-part mystery. So, there's other questions. Make sure you head over to IGN to check the, the other questions out, but that's really the question that makes the most sense to read here. That whole thing about it being three-part stories that make up part of a 12-part story, and this 12-part story is also the middle chapter of this whole big Grant Morrison, Batman disappears and eventually comes back story. So we're getting a story within a story within a story. <laughs> Time three. It, it, it's like those 
So those, what are those dolls called? You open them up, and there's the little doll inside, and then you open that doll up, and it's the little one inside. It's like that, but it's with Batman comics. That could be all right. All right, so March 13th, IGN posted up seven of the eight Batbooks artists and writers, and they are as follows. As we know, Batman is going to be written by Judd Winnick, and art is going to be done by Tony Daniel, Detective Comics' Greg Rucka, and J.H. Williams III, Batman Robin, Grant Morrison, and Frank Quietly. Red Robin is going to be written by Chris Yost, and the art's going to be done by Ramon Box. Gotham City Sirens is going to be written by Paul Dini, and the art's going to be by Gilliam March. Streets of Gotham is going to be written by Paul Dini, and art's going to be by Dustin Wen. Outsiders is going to be done by Pierre Tomasi, and the art's going to be done by Lee Garbett. So, that's what we've got now. Now, what's interesting, and we'll get into this more, because we're going to talk about this in our discussion for the podcast, as far as this news and the lack of info about Batgirl. Now, at the time, I when I read this, I thought to myself, why is there no information about Batgirl? Could it be that disclosing any information about Batgirl at all could give us too much information? But we'll get into that in our discussion a little later. I have one thing to say. Paul Dini is writing two different Bat books. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Anybody who hates this new direction of Batman... Just take that little information into account. Paul Dini is writing two bad books. This is going to be awesome. What more do you want? It's Paul Dini. Cut to like a few podcasts later, and I'm giving them like, how can Paul Dini have written this garbage? And I'm giving this <laughs> too bad. No, but seriously, it's probably going to be awesome. I don't think Paul Dini's. Re- I can't remember the last really horrible Batman story that Paul Dini's written. I can't even remember any bad Batman story that Paul Dini's written. Right. And even his worst Batman story is still far greater than the best of some of these other writers. All right, so the last bit of news we have is on March 18th. Newsrama did their normal 20 Q&As with Dan DiDio. There was a couple Batman ones. I'm not going to go through all of them, but let's go through one of them. And the question is, the Batman titles that are coming out in June, a reader asks if there will be a cohesion between them once they all launch and start rolling in the post-battle for the Kyle world as we see in the Superman titles after New Krypton. And the answer was, there's a cohesion in the sense that's clear that they're all coming from the same place. There is a new Batman that's pretty clear, so that character will be reflected in all the series and the ramifications of the change in the character will be reflected as well. But each of the series comes from a different point of view. Batman and Robin will focus naturally on the new team of Batman and Robin. Batman will focus on the new Batman. Detective Comics will focus on the new Batwoman. I guess he really meant Batwoman, not the new Batwoman. And her role in Gotham City as she tries to affect change. Streets of Gotham will focus on the supporting cast members of Gotham's world and how they interact with Batman. Gotham City Sirens will be dealing with Catwoman, Ivy, and Harley Quinn and their adventures many of which may dovetail in with other adventures that are taking place in other places in other aspects of Batman's world. Outsiders deals with Alfred, who will be seen in other books, but this is Alfred's mission and directive, and is about adventures that take place outside of Gotham City, and Batgirl will be featuring well. We'll leave that one for another day. 
So there's a couple other questions out there. They had talked a little about Batman and Robin, and they also talked about Batman being in the cave. You know, just, just for the, the sheer fun of discussing Batman in the cave, we'll read that question. With the options that are coming up in regards to storytelling, that meaning the use of co-features in books, will we be seeing the tales of Cave Batman and his roommate anywhere in the coming months? Dio answered, if that man is Bruce Wayne and he is in a cave, then the answer is that yes, that this story will definitely be told in the DC Universe at some point. I don't know. I mean, I think it might be a good idea just to, you know, leave Bruce Wayne off to the side. I think that if they do the cave Batman stories, it might distract from the current events going on and just save it for when he comes back. But yeah, my opinion could... could totally change if they do an awesome cave Batman story, you know, next week. Yeah, I'm not really seeing a cave Batman story coming out anytime soon. I think, yeah, I guess I'm reading into it as far as we'll see the stories, just not necessarily right now. It's done awesomely, then, you know, I'll have no problem with it. That'd be pretty cool to see Batman, like, in a caveman type suit. <laughs> That'd probably, be pretty cool. There probably is a Batman cave story back in the Silver or Golden Age when they were doing all these gimmicks. And this issue, Batman's the Knight of the Round Table. And this issue, Batman goes to space. And this issue, Batman fights <laughs> a dinosaur. I'm sure that there's a cave Batman story. Yeah. Oh, the irony of it! Alright, so that's all the comic news we have. Moving right into book news, we've only got one book to talk about, and it is going to be coming out next week, April 1st, and it's called Batman Heart of Hush. Obviously, it was written by Paul Dini, and the art was done by Dustin Wen and Derek Friedolz, and the solicitation for this one reads... Secrets shared years ago between Bruce Wayne and Tommy Elliot, a.k.a. Hush, come to light with dangerous consequences in the present. Guest starring Catwoman, this new hardcover ties directly into the Batman R.A.P. event and collects Detective Comics number 846 through 850 as Batman finds himself barely capable of handling the diabolical threat of the Black Glove. Hush attacks Bruce Wayne in his personal life by setting his sights on Bruce's ex-lover Catwoman. This is going to be 1999, 144 pages. I'll be picking that up. I loved it. That was that was awesome. One of the best Batman storylines in the past. Mm-hmm. In this this decade. If you think I've been bad news before. All right, so that's going to throw us right into our comic reviews. We've got a couple comics. Like I said, we're going to try to catch up a little bit, so that way we can get more current. So that'll go into our first comic book review, which is going to be Superman Batman, number 55. Now, this is continuing the three-part arc where Batman has Superman's powers and Superman has no powers. We start off with continuing the story from the last issue when Superman was shot by a mugger. Lois and Superman or I should say Clark Kent, are being raced to the emergency room. And it's kind of interesting because once they get to the emergency room, they do some surgery, start pumping some blood into him, and the doctors make this comment about Clark Kent looking exactly like Superman, but then they said, no, it can't be because he's got a bullet hole in him. So Kara pops in, crying her eyes out, saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's hurt. Then we cut to a page where Batman's beating the living heck out of some people over in Hong Kong, or we're assuming it's Hong Kong, I guess some Asian country, I assume Hong Kong, when I think Asian countries. Then he goes to the Sudan, stops some guys from killing some random innocent people. He ends up in Paris, 
and he is convinced that he can travel the world and never have to worry about ever being in the daytime, ever, because he'll just keep fighting crime in the dark, and he'll just travel around the world fighting crime in the dark, and he'll never have to worry about being on the bright side of the earth. Then we go over into the JLA Watchtower, where they did some surgery on Clark Kent to make sure that he was fine. He is. He, there's a nice little scene with pretty much a whole lot of the main members of Justice League, Wonder Woman, Flash, Green Lantern, Supergirl, Zantana, and Lois Lane's up there too. They say, yeah, no problems, you'll be fine. Batman shows up. Everyone's trying to tell Batman he has a problem. It seems like it's almost like an intervention at the last moment. They show up. You can tell Bruce Wayne hasn't shaved in a couple days. He's got a nice little scruff going on. Superman starts telling him, hey, you know, you got to understand, you know, I know how you feel with all these powers. You feel like you got to save everybody. Batman says, you know, don't patronize me. And from that point, he says, if you figure out a way to trade over the powers again, let me know. You'll find me. I'll be on the dark side or in the night. So then we go back to Gotham City, and Batman runs into Catwoman. He sees her, Catwoman's like, oh, you got something new about you, and at that point you can kind of see that the powers are starting to take over Bruce Wayne, and he starts strangling Catwoman, telling her he's tired of this, things have changed, she's going to jail, he's sick of this, and then all of a sudden Nightwing pops in, they do a little fight, and one thing leads to another, Batman beats the living heck out of Nightwing, and Nightwing is pretty much left bloody. Then we go back to the back cave where he's sitting on the hospital bed. Tim is figuring out a way to track the magical activity on Earth ever since Silver Banshee's attack. Clark Kent shows up, says to Alfred, you know, I've gotta I've gotta stop Bruce, he's getting out of control, and puts on a I guess a super bat costume, which looks very similar to the bat suit, but has the Superman emblem on it. It actually looks pretty cool. And he says, let's go save our friend, and that's the end of Superman, Batman number 55. Can Batman escape? One hint, the worst is yet to come. All right, the final issue of Birds of Prey. When we last left things, Calculator had a plan with the Syndicate, and he turned into a killer computer, went through the internet, and I can't believe these were coming out of my mouth, and he attacked the Birds of Prey at their headquarters, and he recognizes Barbara Gordon from their little date thing that they had a while ago. Now we're picking off here. He's attacking them, and he still doesn't get the message that Barbara Gordon is Oracle, and you think that a man this smart would have it hammered into his brain? He's just kind of noticing, oh, Barbara Gordon's here along with these other birds of prey and superheroes. Well, where is Oracle? He's attacking everyone. Canary uses her canary cry on him. He's overrided all the systems in the building, so they're locked in. Barbara has them get in touch with Misfit, who's on the other side of the building. They're all going to get out of there, and they're running away, and they lead killer calculator computer android to Lady Blackhawk, and they say because of all his machinery... We can't attack him the way that we do now. We need old-school weapons, which Lady Blackhawk has, and she fires a big honking gun at him, and that immobilizes his computer self, buys them some time, so they get out of the building, and Barbara Gordon decides, oh, what the hey, she does a self-destruct button on the building, so that way calculators, 
computer self will be further mobilized. It'll buy them more time, and he won't be able to use anything in their headquarters against them. Barbara notes that this isn't the first time that she's done something like this to blow up her headquarters. I'm assuming that she's talking about at the end of War Games, where she blew up the Gotham Clock Tower, which I never saw the point of that, and I never saw the point of this either. Back at the Syndicate's headquarters, which is in Neckcracker Systems, Calculator in his human form, they're all planning their next move. Lady Blackhawk flies over the building, which they've managed to track down. She's ready to bomb the whole thing. Oracle says, now I have another way. And she's actually had Misfit teleport in there, and she's beating up everyone. Soon, Huntress, Canary, the rest of the birds show up. The narrative at this point starts to switch, and it's Barbara doing the narrative in a past sense. We later find out at the end of the book that it's because she's writing a letter. She's talking about how at one point during all of this, Manhunter disappeared for a bit, and we see why, because she went ahead and attacked the visionary villain, because earlier in the Birds of Prey run, he had put a vision in her head of her son dying, which disturbed her. So she's striking back at him, and she maces his eyes, and she's going to take him somewhere private to share some more pain. Gizmo is getting his butt kicked, meanwhile, by misfits, and Calculator's like, hey, you're getting your butt kicked by a teenage girl. You're useless to me. So one of his other big honking computer forms, he goes inside and is leaving the building. And he's still attacked by Lady Blackhawk and some more big missiles. Then he just decides, oh, forget this. I'll be, I'll be back and I'll be waiting and I'll figure out who Oracle is. And he just flies away. Infinity is in the car with Oracle this whole time while everyone's battling. And Oracle's directing everyone. And Infinity realizes, wait a second, you don't just work for Oracle, you are Oracle. And she's like, yeah. And since we've spent all this time together, I need you to do a favor. And Barbara Gordon writes this note, which we realize has been the narrative for some of the issue, and hands it to Misfits. And it's basically her saying that she needs some time to herself, and she can't believe that she let the calculator get her, and that she let the Joker throw her down those stairs. She's breaking up the birds. Misfit is now Huntress's responsibility. Would have been nice if she would have discussed this with Huntress, saying, hey, I'm leaving you a teenage girl. And right now, she's a bird that has to fly alone. And that is it for the main story, but remember, we are getting these origins and omens backups. And it's Barbara Gordon. She's reminiscing about her life. She looks at a picture of her graduating. Can't believe that she's that hairstyle she did. She remembers spying on her dad, meeting with Batman on the Gotham City roof. And then she goes into one of her rooms where she has some old mementos, including her Batgirl costume. And we get a flashback, and I love this because it's a flashback to Batgirl beating up the killer moth henchman from the old 1960s million-dollar debut of Batgirl and Bruce Wayne jumping over the fence. And it's almost exactly like it was in the original story. They don't use the year one thing. They use the original, and I love it when they do that because of the canon. She reminisces about being Batgirl and about how a man and his camera took that all away from her, which that's a little issue I'll get into later in the review wrap-up, and remembers her martial arts training. And we get one of the best pictures in the whole book is Barbara Gordon in the wheelchair doing karate and kicking the butt of somebody who I'm assuming is her karate instructor and some stuff with the birds. And she's laying her Batgirl costume out on the bed, just looking at it and reminiscing. And then we get, as we did with the other Origins and Omens, splash pages of what might be to come in the future. We see Barbara Gordon confronting what I'm guessing is Calculator's big computer honking avatar form again. 
in a room full of a bunch of computers, and if he doesn't realize at that point that she's Oracle, then he really is stupid. We have somebody sitting at a computer desk, and their head is exploded, and there's blood everywhere. I have no idea what that's supposed to be. And then we also have Barbara Gordon wheeling away from Black Canary. I don't know if that's supposed to symbolize the breakup from the birds or if that's another story point, but it leaves us some guesses as to the future. But for now, the Birds of Prey title has no immediate future because this was the last issue. Okay, and that's going to take us into Batman Gotham After Midnight. And that's such a cool title. This is written by Steve Niles and the art done by Kelly Jones. Now, I decided to give Dustin a break because Dustin's always reviewing this book, so I picked it up. So I made the sacrifice for you guys to pick up a book drawn by Kelly Jones. So what we have here is the continuing events that, of course, is a 12-part series. This is issue 10. And what we're doing is we're looking after the Midnight Killer. Okay, and the last issue, of course, uh, the Midnight Killer took one of Bruce Wayne's closest friends. And this issue, you'll be able to see him pay respects to Abel Clarkson. In here, it shows the badge number of the Fallen. And, of course, there's a pretty cool conversation between Bruce and Commissioner Gordon. Midnight is actually looking on, and, of course, Batman is still out on out in the streets of Gotham trying to go ahead and locate this guy. My impression is that why was woman been involved with this guy but as the story gets along of course we have to continue the story to find out what's going to go on batman is trying to solve who this guy is he's trying to see who's his next target because this guy guys he's cutting hearts out of people and there is a very cool scene within the comic book where he has just jars of hearts and so he has the officer's badge that he had just killed April Clarkson, and so he's setting up Batman. And, of course, with the setup of Batman, Batman automatically goes and tries to find Midnight because he found out and learned that Bruce Wayne is the next target. Well, Batman thinks that he has him right where he wants him, and lo and behold, who does Midnight have with him? He has Man Bat, Scarecrow, Killer Croc, and for some reason, there is Catwoman. So I'm just kind of thrown why would Catwoman want to be killed Batman in this issue you also see Midnight right there and that's where the the issue leaves off with Midnight telling the well I guess his little gang telling him to kill Batman and you'll see what I think in our reviews I want information and I'll get it any way I please all right so that's going to move us into Batman the Brave and the Bold number two this issue features the first story with Batman and Superman going against Toymaker and it's actually kind of interesting because those of you, anybody out there who watches Smallville, they recently had an episode that featured Toymaker, and it's the Toymaker that they show here in the comic is it's like a dead dead ringer for the same character. Then we go into a story about these three trolls or creatures that look like, I guess, World of Warcraft creatures taking apart different ATMs and stuff and taking all this money and then they disappear just by hitting something on their belt. Batman shows up, tries to stop them, doesn't work. So Batman flies because somehow he needs help to get this mystery solved. Goes to Jamie Ray's uh, Blue Beetle. He explains to him that they already that he knows exactly what these characters are. These are characters from a video game. He's not exactly sure why they're there. Blue Beetle and Batman go meet these characters again at some point while they're trying to rob a fast food joint. 
and they disappear into the computer world. And then it comes out that the reason why these people are stealing this stuff is because they're being told to by the thinker. So all these people across the world who are playing the video game can actually see Blue Beetle going against the thinker fighting. We move along. It looks like thinker's got Blue Beetle taken care of. He doesn't look like Blue Beetle's going to win. Then all of a sudden, the thinker uses his little wand that he has to make these tentacles come out of the ground and remove the beetle from Jamie Ray's. Well, then lo and behold, Batman shows up just in the nick of time, discovers the treasure. Jamie Ray's tells everybody who's watching around the world, all the different kids that are playing the video game, this is real. Everyone needs to fight against this guy. So all these kids around the world, they send their characters to beat up the thinker. The thinker loses his cap. It turns out that all of the characters... Thinker disappears into the digital world because Blue Beetle sticks his claws into the circuit board of this digital world. Then we have a, the last page is Batman sitting down to dinner with the Reyes family, laughing it up and eating a chicken leg. That's Batman Brave and the Bold. And that's going to take us into the conclusion of Batman Cacophony, issue 3. And, of course, guys, this was written by Kevin Smith and artist drawn by Walter Flanagan. And what it has is a conclusion of really a Batman and Joker doing a little, I guess you could kind of say, they're, they're playing their roles, so to speak. And, of course, Automatopoeia, Batman has set him up to go ahead and Automatopoeia there. And he shows up, shoots Batman directly in the head, and all you see is his blood splattered. However... When Onomatopoeia, well, he doesn't really hold a conversation with Joker, but Joker's really holding the whole conversation. Onomatopoeia's arm breaks, and it's actually Batman coming back. Well, what Batman did was actually he brought a, a little thing that Deadshot has in his helmet, where he has Kevlar underneath, but he has a, a blood pack on the top, which was, you know, really cool. What you have also is Batman really just tearing up Onomatopoeia, but Onomatopoeia turns the tables and stabs Joker directly over the left side of his heart. And Joker's like, what happened to go team? You know, which is very funny. <laughs> Batman is just left there with, does he go after Anamanapia or does he save the Joker's life? Commissioner Gordon comes in and says, where's the masked man? And he says that he went over the side and he goes, why aren't you going after him? And Batman's like, I have to save the Joker's life. And of course, Commissioner Gordon is like, let him die. And then it, it just goes in through a history of what Joker's done to both men. And then Batman's like, you know, I live by a set of rules. And, of course, the Joker's just right there, you know, bleeding to death. And, of course, Batman takes him. And I got the feeling from this whole book uh, and maybe the conclusion of it was a conversation between Batman and the Joker. And apparently there's some sort of drug out there that kind of, kept joker sane for a little bit while he was recovering from i guess his minor heart surgery what it comes down to is batman really asks him you know batman tells you you know i i don't i don't i'm never gonna kill you i'm never gonna you know what i mean i want to try to really get you help joker's in response is no i really want to kill you <laughs> so you know batman is looking for a kind-hearted you know part of joker and there's really none to that 
the conversation is really done very good. Onomatopoeia, of course, if you've followed Onomatopoeia through the years, he goes back to his family and it goes back to to just being normal. And what you have is a whole sections of uh, Onomatopoeia's mask that you can see collected. And that's where the story ends. And I'm going to go ahead and give you my thoughts in the wrap-up review. We'll see what the truth is. All right. And now we have Gotham Gazette, Batman Dead. It's a one-shot, which kind of serves as a prologue to the whole Battle of the Cal. In fact, this whole Battle of the Cal crossover that's going to be running through all the books, this was the first book out that had the Battle of the Cal little banner over it. We open up with The Veil, who was the character in Denny O'Neill's little Nightwing story that ran through Batman and Detective. She's standing over Gotham, looking at the bat signal, basically monologuing a bunch of metaphors and stuff about how the city is doing. And then we get into different little chapters where it introduces different characters. One of them is Vicky Vale. When we last saw this character, she was basically on the DCU's version of The View, which I think was called The Scene. Now she's back to being a newspaper reporter, and she's at the Gotham Gazette, and she's enjoying a little bit of success because she just did the story in the picture of Batman Dead, but everyone's saying, yeah, don't let it go to your head. You actually have to do something real now. And she's been told by her new boss, who was actually her old assistant, that if she can get a date with Bruce Wayne at this society function, that might do some stuff to giving her some credit and some journalistic integrity back. How getting a date, this is more like a gossip column thing than actual real news, but in any case, that's what her assistant wants. And she's looking at pictures of places where Bruce has been seen and cited. One of them is Vietnam. Us Batman readers know that that was not Bruce in Vietnam, but that was Tommy Elliot Hush with Bruce's face. So Vicki Vale does some old-fashioned detective work, and she can't get into Wayne Manor. She only gets messages. Lucius Fox is kind of a dead end. She just thinks that she gets Bruce Wayne's itinerary, but a computer glitch messes up the file. We see on her computer Oracle's little head avatar thing, so we know just what that computer glitch was. When she goes back to her apartment, there's an electronic timer and it's on a bottle opener. It pours some champagne. There's roses everywhere, and there's a note from Bruce, and it's basically inviting Vicky to go to the Robinson Ball with her and welcoming her back in town, which begs a lot of questions. Did Alfred and everyone set this up to throw Vicky off the trail, and how are they planning on having Bruce accompany her to the ball? Are they going to have a fake Bruce do a last-minute excuse? Are they actually going to recruit Tommy Elliott to throw everyone off the scent? Hopefully those are questions that we'll have answered, but we move on to the next character, Stephanie Brown, and she's walking through the streets of Gotham, and there's riots going on everywhere, and she sees Nocturna stealing some stuff and Robin going after her. She's obviously tempted to get involved, but she's left that life behind. She's now retired from being spoiler after the events of the final issue of Robin. She goes to the hospital, picks her mom up, and walks her home jokes around that she's her bodyguard, which actually, not really safe to walk along the streets of Gotham anymore. Back there, neighborhood things are a little more peaceful, but they say that it hasn't reached their neighborhood yet, so you never know when these riots might come. Spoiler looks at her costume, kind of like what Barbara did in Birds of Prey, and flashbacks on her career. We get to Leslie Tompkins, who is returning to Gotham from Africa, where she went after war games and war crimes, 
where she faked Spoiler's death and told Batman that she withheld treatment from Spoiler and killed her. Now that that's all blown over, it looks like Leslie Tompkins wants to go back and wants to help out a little bit, especially since Gotham's in so much trouble. Of course, even her taxi driver says, you know, your funeral coming back here. Leslie Tompkins isn't even back for long when she's walking down the street and a Gotham City police squad car, some sort of big car. It kind of looks like an ambulance, but it says Gotham City Police Department on it. One of the people riding in the street launches something at it, blows it up. Leslie Tompkins flies in the air, lands on the sidewalk, gets up, she's all right. She follows the blood, and she sees the Cavalier, and he's got a big wound on his chest, and he needs some help, and he says, I hope you're going to honor your Hippocratic Oath. We then go to two of our favorite cops in the Gotham City Police Department, Harvey Bullock and Jamie Harper, and they have a new case. They're going to be investigating a murder, and they go to the coroner's office, and this is one of my favorite lines in the book, cause of death, a division of his head from his torso. Basically, the guy's head was cut off, but the coroner couldn't word it like that at all. And I love this because we get some old-fashioned police work in here. They're talking about how the attack came from behind and above, so they're saying that either somebody must have been seven feet tall and attacked him, or they were jumping off of the roof as the guy was leaving the restaurant. And Harvey says that he thinks he knows who that killer is. And then we go back to the Vale, who's doing some more metaphors as to the state of Gotham City, and is wondering if it has any hope for salvation left. Starting tonight, people will die. All right, so that's going to bring us to our review wrap-up. Let's start off with Superman Batman, number 55. Overall... I believe the the art is good. I kind of like the idea of this story. I think in the past when I've reviewed this, I've kind of given it a mediocre, but it turns out that it could be okay, but at the same time, it does feel like just a repeat of something that's already been done in World's Finest back in the day. Overall, I'm going to give it three out of five Batarangs. Birds of Prey, as you can hear from my tone when I was doing this review, some of the things just didn't sit right with me. One of them was Calculator as this Terminator thing. Okay, he lives in the Internet, and he could do all these things, but he can be stopped by a simple missile, and he he just decides randomly to retreat in the middle of the attack. He, it's like a Saturday morning cartoon villain. He's like, oh, I will see you. I'll get you next time, Gadget, and flies away. And once again, we have Oracle deciding, well, this headquarters is no good. Let's blow it up, which I thought it was weird the first time she did it. And I thought it was weirder the second time. And she just decides, you know what? I'm feeling sad about myself. I'm going to break up the birds of prey. And hey, guess what, Huntress? I'm giving you custody of a teenager without consulting you first. The backup, and this is, I guess this goes back to one of my pet peeves of mine. We once again have about Barbara Gordon saying that she quit being Batgirl because the Joker shot her. And I've stressed this a lot of times. Barbara Gordon was actually retired when the Joker shot her. She had previously quit being Batgirl. But maybe this is Barbara's interpretation of the events. Maybe that's just kind of my problem with it. I did like how the backup had her flashback into the actual Silver Age stories and not some of the Superboy Prime punch-to-wall retcons that we've gotten in the last few years. The art was good. But, again, I'm still a little iffy on some of the story stuff. And, you know, Killer Calculator and Barbara Gordon blowing up every single headquarters that she has. So I'm going to go ahead and give it two batterings out of five. Okay, and that's going to take us to Batman Gotham After Midnight. Reading the story, I I was like, you know, we, we haven't been very fond of Steve Niles. I, 
I took this as a very simple story, kind of like a B movie cartoon to the Batman animated series for some reason. And I put myself in that mindset, and I and I really enjoyed it. I, I don't like Kelly Jones's artwork. I've even since the nineties, I've just never really liked it. It's, it, it, I mean, you know, sorry, Kelly. I mean, nothing against you. I just don't like your artwork. <laughs> but I found this the story very entertaining, but it's very simple. And in that, I I kind of enjoyed it, but. With the, with the artwork and the story just being very simple, issue 10, I'm going to have to give it two batterings out of five. All right, so that brings us to Batman Brave and the Bold. Not really a whole lot to say as far as this comic. It was a good story if you're a kid. We're coming up with a new way to review this series because it's not really working the way we're doing it. So look for that in the next podcast that we review this series. It's a good good comic for kids. Uh, Batman Cacophony, issue 3. This was a very Kevin Smith-ish, like, full reader comic book, where you had to get a lot of reading in. (laughs) And so I have mentioned that in past podcasts about Kevin Smith, and I I really like the dialogue between Batman and Joker. So I can see where Kevin Smith was trying to, I guess, he, he, he was trying to get some of that animated series in here. I I I just didn't see it with the the mediocre arc work. Also, I I just sometimes you have to look past it just to get by a story. I read the story, but I I couldn't really buy it with the true serum that Joker Joker had taken. But I mean, I found it entertaining. Uh, the ending of it, I I wish I wish it could have been better. Honestly, guys, I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan, but I have to be honest. I'm just going to probably give this one 2.5 batterings out of 5. And that's really just for the, the story part. The, the artwork really didn't do anything for me. And that takes us into Gotham Gazette. And I love this book. And is it any wonder who I, that I did? Because it was written by Fabian, who has been one of my favorite bat writers. This reminds me of back when they did stuff like Countdown and 52. They would always begin those series with little segments of these minor characters, and they would set up these big plot lines for them. And that's kind of what this reminded me of. It, it felt like the beginning of one of those weekly series that DC was doing. And you got some variety in who the characters were. You had everyone from Vicki Vale, Jamie Harper, Stephanie Brown, Leslie Tompkins returning to the Bat family. A lot of interesting pieces, and this is one of the great things about Batman comics. These minor characters are awesome enough that if you write them well... You can do these little stories with them. My only One of my complaints is, wait a second, this was a one-shot, but it's like setting up for something bigger, and I know that they're going to do another one-shot, Batman Alive, soon, but I'm wondering if this is anything like what the Streets of Gotham series is going to be like. I am on board. One of the only things I didn't like was the veil. I didn't like that character in the Danny O'Neill book, and... I just really don't see a point to her, but that's just, it still doesn't stop me from giving this five out of five battering. Well done. Very generous. I have to say, though, Gotham Gazette, I want to make a couple quick notes on that book. I liked how Gotham Gazette kind of made a connection to some of the other books. The murder that they're investigating at the end with Detective Harper and Detective Bullock, they're both investigating a murder of a guy chopped who's got his head chopped off. That refers back to the Azrael miniseries that comes out two weeks after that, but we know that's what happens in that series. 
because mm-hmm. we've already read it. It makes a bunch of little connections that I find really interesting, and that's what I like. I like a crossover event that each book is connected in some way. Not It's a standalone book that has something to do with the overall story, but it's not connected in any way to the other books. Like Bruce Wayne being in Vietnam. Exactly. Right. And you know what? I, I, and I'll share my thing on it also i loved it i loved it it was it was an awesome book i had all the points that you guys had just mentioned but what it was is that it it really involved the reader inside the story and i think that's what you know some of the i guess other comics kind of miss out on just bring you into the story and and belonging there like being the the watcher of it and i totally enjoyed it i love i love the gotham gazette all right so let's move into our discussion We're going to talk briefly about the June books coming out. Let's just go around and say our predictions for who's who. Um, I'll start off. I believe Nightwing is actually going to be Batman. I have no idea who Jason Todd's going to end up being. Obviously, this is an informed opinion, I should say, that Tim Drake will be Red Robin. And all I can say on that regard is read the solicitation and compare the solicitation for Red Robin to a discussion that Tony Daniel had on the views of Tim Drake with Battle of the Cowl, and you'll figure out exactly why I think that. As far as Batgirl, I'm still in question about. I don't think Azrael's going to be around after Battle for the Cowl, and I think a lot of the supporting characters who came in who are part of the network are not going to be around as well. They're going to go back to doing their own their own things. Right. I, I I do also think that Tim Drake is going to be Red Robin. It, it, it's only right. I mean, we've said it on you know previous before. I mean, he he just looks good as it. Batman. I'm I'm still wondering who Bruce is going to be. I mean, I know you have mentioned as being Nightwing. I'm I'm just yeah, as a gambler. Someone's holding the cards, and I'm waiting for that card just to turn over to say, Ah, dang, you got us. So I'm kind of waiting for that right now. The Batgirl part. Um, you know, I'm kind of excited. So old friends might maybe coming back to it. So that's all I'll say on that. But uh, I, I mean, I, I just I'm just the type that I'm a wait and see person. Oh, one more quick thing before Josh says his. One person I forgot to leave out was the new Robin, which I'm pretty much sure that we're all in the agreement that it's most likely going to be Damien. Damien, yeah. It's gonna the, be it's gonna be the kid that spoiler gave up for adoption 50 issues ago. Yeah, I doubt that. I'm sure it's going to be Damien. And yeah. the, the idea, I guess this kind of plays back into, we know the, the Batman Robin series by Grant Morrison, Frank Quietly, is going to f- focus on the Batman after Battle for the Cowl and then the new Robin. We believe that Tim Drake is going to be Red Robin, so he's not going to be Robin. That gives Damien room to fill in for that spot. And then we look at Battle for the Cowl number one, where Nightwing and Damien have a little situation we won't go into it because we'll review that one in the next podcast but they have a little situation that makes you think that maybe they could get along after all which goes back into the nightwing origins and omen story with nightwing training someone who looks like possibly damien mm-hmm. yeah i'm i'm almost 100 percent sure at this point that dick grayson is going to be the new batman first of all when you're looking at all these chess pieces and where they're going to be afterwards if he's not batman where is Dick's role after this? The Nightwing book is canceled, and it's pretty obvious now, due to lots of different reasons, that Tim is going to be Red Robin. The Nightwing identity isn't even his anymore. We got Chris Kent over in the Superman titles. He's the new Nightwing. 
supposedly. And Grant Morrison's one of these people. He likes to do big, overarching things. He likes his stories to come together and form a big picture. And if you look at the big picture over his arc, we've had clues about Nightwing being Batman throughout it. And even at the end of Batman R.I.P., Batman's cow is being held by Nightwing over the river. And even though this part wasn't written by Grant Morrison, at the end of Nightwing's final issue, we have Nightwing doing some parallels to what Bruce Wayne did in year one. So it's, I think it's almost at this point, it's not as hard to guess as it was three or four months ago. The only thing that I think that they might try and pull on us is Tommy Elliott's role in all of this. And we still ha- have no idea what's going on with that Two-Face Batman that was in that preview image. True. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, for for readers to to be kind of educated on the Nightwing name, Dick Grayson got the Nightwing name from a Krypton from a Krypton uh, name originally. Yeah, yeah. So, Superman was actually Nightwing, and Jimmy Olsen was Flamebird in an old Silver Age story. Yeah, so this could be maybe a stepping stone for Dick to move along and even find his own identity, you know, other than Nightwing. Well, I think he's pretty much taken the name from Superman now, and it, it pretty much is his own identity. But, yeah, he could form a new one. But I think he's going to be Batman, and I think... The only thing that's throwing me off is in that whole I Am Batman preview image where they have, you know, all the clues and stuff. We have who we believe to be Tommy Elliott because he looks like Bruce Wayne and he has the hush bandages on his feet holding Damien mm-hmm. by the shoulders, which makes you think that there's going to be something going on with Tommy Elliott and Damien. And like you said, it's pretty obvious that Damien's going to be Robin. I mean, who else is there? So that image makes me think, okay, maybe something's going to happen here, but I don't think people are going to want to buy a monthly Batman title starring Tommy Elliott. Yeah, and I guess I guess the next discussion is that we, we really need to bring up is, why is DC not releasing any information about Batgirl? We knew that there's going to be a Batgirl series in June. The solicitations for June are now out. There is nothing for Batgirl listed. Now, as I said when I mentioned the thing earlier about, well, maybe this is because Kevin Van Hook, who's writing the Oracle miniseries right now, he's going to be writing the Batgirl series, and if that's the case, they don't want to give it away that, you know, possibly Barbara Gordon is going to be Batgirl. But at the same time, we're also knowing that Cassandra Kane is not going to be Batgirl as far as the Batgirl in that series because they said that she was going to be one of the characters in Streets of Gotham. So, who, who's Batgirl, if it's not Barbara Gordon? And I, I guess there is some speculation that I have myself about maybe it's not Barbara Gordon, but then who is it? Because it's got to be somebody that you're not expecting at all then, because nobody's talked about it. I don't see anybody who is a current hero giving up their name to become Batgirl, because I really don't see the purpose of that. Ah, wait a minute though, Dustin. Look at Gotham Gazette. There is a current hero who has given up their name, who currently wants to get back into oh, action. Spoiler? Oh, yeah. That's, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Well, you know, I was thinking, I was like, well, where's Talia also during all this? Oh, God. <laughs> Talia has Batgirl. Hey. I don't, I don't see Talia as Batgirl. I didn't think once about Spoiler being Batgirl. I don't know why. But it would also play into, okay, she gave up Spoiler because Robin said, don't ever be spoiler again. Robin mm-hmm. becomes Red Robin, goes around searching the world for Bruce Wayne. Meanwhile, 
spoilers itching to come back as, you know, spoiler, decides she's going to hold true to what Tim said about not becoming spoiler and then takes over Batgirl. That's a good thought. I didn't think about that. Well, here's another thought, too. If she's wearing Cassandra Cain's, and this is a lot of speculation, this is probably not what they're going to do, but Cassandra Cain and Stephanie Brown used to be good friends. They'd always pal around in their series. And there's kind of been hinted that there might be two Batgirls and that Cassandra Cain might be Batgirl in the network series or something, but that the Batgirl and Batgirl series will be something else. Maybe she says, hey, you know, will you help me pull this trick on Tim, sort of, you know, I'll use your costume and, you know, Tim will just think that it's me, but that way I'm still fighting crime or whatever. Which, again, Tim is not a dummy. He'd probably know in a second that it was Stephanie, but you never know. I like Stephanie as Batgirl. That would be... I would, too. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she's got the personality. Another name that's been thrown out is Misfit, and she actually tried to be Batgirl in The Birds of Prey before she became Misfit, but I don't know about a teleporting Batgirl, but... Again, it could be interesting, and Dustin and Apple have heard my feelings on this, and if you've read the message boards, you know too. To all the people who want Barbara to be back at this point, she's definitely in her 30s, or late 20s at the most. She's a college graduate. She's got a Ph.D. Why do we need her to be Batgirl? Okay, you want her to walk again? You know what? That's not the worst thing in the world. But if you want her to be Batgirl for nostalgic purposes... Why don't we just go all the way? Let's make Dick Grayson Robin as well. We've already brought back Hal Jordan and Barry Allen. Let's just make it all Silver Age again. <laughs> I would I would like to see her back as Batgirl. I, 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 I really would. But I, I do like the Stephanie Brown aspect. So, uh. I didn't think at all about the Stephanie Brown aspect. And that's a great point that I'm, I'm sure not a lot of other people are thinking about either. But at that point, we are going to end the discussion now and throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello and welcome back to Bat Books for Beginners. This is a segment where we review a particular Batman trade paperback and I, with my limited experience, give my general opinion of it. Today we're looking at Batman and the Monster Men, and this is the first part of Matt Wagner's two-part Dark Moon Rising series, which are expanded and modernised versions of earlier Batman stories. Matt Wagner is responsible for the story and are in this book, and other Batman books he's worked on include Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Trinity, Batman Faces, which was serialised in Legends of the Dark Knight, Batman Riddler and Batman and the Mad Monk, the sequel to this book, which I'll be doing next time. So sit back, relax, as I review Batman and the Monster Men. Taste of your own medicine, Doctor. What have you been doing here? We begin the story seeing Batman attacking a bunch of Moroni's goons at Gotham Docks. We understand Batman has been working to ensure Moroni's drug shipments don't reach their destinations. Next, we head to a charity event and meet Norman Madison, head of Madison Industries, who has dealt with Sal Moroni in the past and whose company is under financial trouble. Julie Madison, his daughter, also makes an appearance at the event, and she reveals that she is dating Bruce Wayne. Professor Strange is also at this event, discussing his dreams of genetic manipulation. 
Professor Strange makes a deal with Moroni to obtain the funding he sorely needs to continue his projects. As he leaves the charity ball, Strange kidnaps two party guests who insulted him with the help of his aide, Sanjay. They are both left in Strange's basement and are brutally murdered. Some body parts are pulled out of the sewer, drawing Batman onto the case. Norman Madison is forced to loan money from the menacing Moroni, leading him to begin drinking, a problem which is apparent as the book progresses. After Moroni's goons threaten Strange into paying up, Strange sends his mysterious force to attack one of Moroni's offshore poker games, instantly giving him enough money to pay back his loans. Batman surveys the carnage left by Strange's monster men. He visits Moroni during the night while he hides out at Carmine Falcone's home. Moroni reveals his suspicions of Strange, leading Batman to investigate. Meanwhile, Madison fears for his daughter's safety after Moroni's thugs threaten Norman and Julie. Batman finds Strange's lab and infiltrates his lair. However, he is overpowered by Sanjay and Strange and thrown into the Monster Men's pit. Batman then uses all his ingenuity and gadgets to escape from the men through the drain to the sewer, impressing Strange in the process. Norman then confesses his dire situation to Julie and tells her to flee to a safe place. She promptly dashes to Wayne Manor and informs Bruce of the situation. Bruce drugs her leaves her with Alfred and heads out to conduct his business as Batman, knowing that she is safe. Strange unleashes his monster army upon Moroni at Falcone's safe house. Norman Madison is at this safe house discussing the terms of his deal with Moroni when the monster men attack. Batman again intervenes and uses his gadgets to stop the monster men in their stride. Then he warns Norman to leave. Batman saves Moroni on the roof and defeats the final monster man. Strange flees the premises. Batman then threatens Moroni, telling him that he must leave Norman Madison alone, and later tells Julie when he returns home that his father is safe. The book closes with Norman Madison seeming terrified that Batman knew his name. But Master Wayne, the guests will be arriving. Keep them happy until I arrive. Tell them that joke, you know. Now, this book has good and bad points, but is mostly an interesting modern take on a story which seems quite classic Batman in its nature. I felt the introduction of Strange was an excellent deception, leading us to thinking we were looking at Batman. We simply see a, a silhouette with a monologue going on in the background saying things like, I am a product of this city and mentioning early childhood trauma. So instantly we think, right, this is Batman. But we eventually see that this is the midget, Professor Strange, and not Batman. It made me realise that in a typical Batman book, I almost always expect a brief Batman introduction, with those sort of lines about his parents' death. But Wagner's shown here how it's not necessary, and how perhaps he's become a bit tired of every Batman book. Within the first ten pages, there'll be a couple of lines about how Batman became Batman. Do we really need it? Surely everyone who's reading these books knows how it happened. It was a good idea to see more of Moroni, as we mostly see him as a brute in other books, and I felt this was an opportunity for Wagner to flesh out Moroni a bit. But we didn't learn much new about him after all, or who he is, or what he's all about, which is a bit of a shame because I think there's potential there. The Batmobile was an exciting concept and looked for cross between the Nolan and Burton vehicle, depending from what angle you're looking at, 
it could be a tank or it could be a sleek Burton car. So very interesting there. Uh, the book is gruesome at some points, but at others leaves it to your imagination, such as when Batman drags a thug into the dark corner of a room to interrogate him, and we just see the screams. It's very cinematic in nature, and I think it works pretty well. It's good work, Mr. Wagner. And Wagner's art style is well suited for this story, as the characters perfectly express themselves without the need for lines explaining their emotions. It was very similar Simplistic artwork like Year One, and it reminded me of Long Halloween as well, making me think that all these books around the Dark Knight's early career have a similar style of art, generally. There were lots of silhouettes used throughout the book as well, and it's clearly a technique Wagner enjoys using, and I thought it worked fairly well. In conclusion, I feel that this book was good. However, it wasn't stimulating or gripping, and I never was really into or enjoying the story. And I think it may have been because of Strange being quite a dull villain, and the Monster Men themselves being very one-dimensional and a bit too over-the-top. However, the artwork and character development raises the mark of the book in my eyes. I give the book 3 out of 5 Batarangs. I really like Wagner's work, and I have a feeling he can do a lot better than this, and this book sadly just felt distinctly average. Just a couple of interesting notes is that Batman and the Monster Men is developed from an early Hugo Strange story from Batman number one. Julie Madison, historically Bruce Wayne's love interest in the early comics, is reintroduced in this series. Madison has not been seen as a regular supporting cast member since 1941 in Detective Comics number 49. You're one of those who just can't get enough of Batman. Help is here. Next, I'll be reviewing Wagner's sequel, Batman and the Mad Monk, part of the Dark Moon Rising series. I'm hoping for it to be a bit better, as I feel the Monster Men showed signs of promise which never came to fruition, so I hope that Mad Monk can get that potential and make sure it does a really good job. I will be posting the next bunch of books on the reading list section of the forums, so if you're still keeping up with me, the next group of books will be up there soon. On the forums, I've got polls for you to vote for the books. Did you agree with me? Did you not agree with me? You know how it works. As well as the ability for you to leave your comments on how this segment's working and what you thought of particular books. So that's BBFB for this time. I've been Nick, and now it's back to Dustin and the guys. Bye. Okay, so that was Batman and the Monster Men. Next time, pick up Batman and the Mad Monk. And then... Listen to the next episode for that review from Nick. Now, let's go into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. As we mentioned earlier, on April 1st, we have Batman Heart of Hush. We also have the one-shot Batman Battle for the Cowl Man Bat. And then Superman Batman number 57. Now, just as a quick side note, Superman Batman number 57 is actually going to be... The art's going to be done by Wills Portacio who previously worked on Batman Confidential as well as many other projects not necessarily related to Batman. Now, 
As you're listening to this podcast, we did an interview with Will Spataccio talking about his work on Superman Batman number 57, and that's available now under the Batman Universe Specials podcast. It's available on iTunes and the website, so you can check that out. Then we move to April 8th, and we have only two books, Batman Confidential number 28 and Batman Battle for the Cow number 2. So moving into what we are going to cover next time on the podcast, we are going to catch up, like I said, we're only going to do two weeks because we don't want to have a massive number of comics. So next time on the podcast, we're going to cover Superman Batman number 56, Batman Confidential number 27, Batman Battle for the Cow number 1, Simon Dark, number 18, Azrael, Death's Dark Knight, number 1, and The Outsiders, number 16. And like I said, we will catch up the following podcast with three weeks' worth of comics, so make sure you're picking up your comics, because we are going to be giving away everything, as we always do. We were doing a month back for the spoiler aspect to not give away spoilers, but it seems that a lot of people just want to hear our opinions as soon as the comics come out, so we're moving up. So, that is just about it for this podcast. As always, leave us a review on iTunes. You can email us, comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. We have a Facebook group. We have a MySpace. And you can also go over to our forums, become a member, chat with other Bat fans about different Bat books. And that is going to be about it. So, this is Dustin. This is Apple. You got Josh. You've been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. And we also... What was I going to say? Oh, and... Superboy Prime punched a wall in my comic yes. shop. Oh, by the way, Josh, this is a side note. You're not really doing Batman's Superman Batman. Okay, uh, what am I doing? You're doing Gazette. Awesome. <laughs> I just had a, I just had a mess with you. <laughs> sense of humor. I had, you know, if I figured if I played it off for a lo- long enough, you'd actually believe me, and you did. So. Okay, and uh, Batman, uh, uh, Cacophony, uh, no, issue no, three. No, 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 no. Wait, what did I say? You say Cacophony. Oh, sorry. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. Danny Elfman music, or I think we said we're changing up. Do, 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 yeah, Savannah right. puts a tag over here. I think so. Somewhere in there, Savannah has her tag for the for the end of the episode.